five, four, three, two, one. Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Tom, uh, the podcast tonight, I suppose we will be looking back on uh, Munster's superb win on the road over in Glasgow. Um, bonus point win in a game that was very much in the balance up until the last, I think it was 15-12 on, on 63 minutes. Um, but uh, a superb showing in the last 20 minutes from Munster uh, on top of the scrums, on top of the set piece. Um you know, making the opportunities count when they had the chances, and I suppose, look, this is really where we want to see Munster going, uh, and I think it's 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 been a long enough process, but we seem to be getting there with regards to to where we want to be. I'd agree. You look at, you know, a game like this with the current ebb, we'll say, of where Glasgow are in their development. They're not really the team that they were. You might say that their peak was from around, you know, 2014 up until 2019, I suppose. They've lost a lot of guys. But to go away to a place like Scottsdale, where Munster haven't had a great record recently, and to look at how um, Munster performed in a, in conditions that were just, they were total leveler conditions, um, the, the driving rain, wind really high wind on a greasy kind of uh kind of 4g pitch which can kind of create a little bit of a difficulty moving the ball around you can you you don't win a trophy for winning a game like this but you can certainly show that you're capable of losing one and i think the way monster showed up here uh it was good to it was good to see it showed a lot of character it showed a kind of physicality and aggression that you just love seeing it in, in games like this because it, it kind of, like I wrote there at the weekend, it's kind of turned into, this was a game played in a phone box where everything was happening in between the 10 meter lines, mostly. And, 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 and where the two people in the phone box hated each other. Yeah. And you want, ultimately, if you're having a fight in a phone box, you want one of the fellas to come stumbling out bleeding. And for Glasgow, that was them this time around. You, you, you look at how, uh, you know, you, you look at what Munster would have looked at in this game. They would have looked at the weather because I looked at the weather beforehand. I was like, oh, it's going to be raining going to be windy so oh, okay didn't know how bad it was going to be but they picked a pack that was built to go toe-to-toe with glasgow to try and run them over and it came down to can you earn penalties around the middle of the field can you kick down can you get those five meter opportunities can your is your set piece good and monsters mall monsters scrum in particular i thought was very very impressive and that was the winning of the game uh monster stuck in there all the way to the end it got close there like you said Last 20 minutes were very good from a Munster perspective, finished very strongly, but they've done that all season. So it was just really good. It showed, for me, showed a lot of character to come out. And because, you know, I think it would have been easy, you know, given the amount of younger players, you know, a, a very young 8, 9, 10 combination, for example, would have been easy enough for those guys to settle for, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get out of here with a, a two or three point win. You know, nobody be cribbing about that. But they drove on, they started to win more collisions more forward uh, confrontations. And then the two extra try ca- uh, extra tries came. They had to work for it, but it was a very, very good ending to the game. And uh, they'll be delighted for sticking one over on Glasgow. And I think the only thing that they'll be sad about is that there wasn't a full house there in Scottsdale to watch it. Yeah, there was quite a lot of uh, of bitterness in this game, Tom. The two, uh, two sides that just don't like each other. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's in, I, I was talking about this in my own podcast this week about how I take real spite over fake respect any day of the week. Because I think real spite and real hatred on a rugby... Because everybody goes, oh, no, we don't want to talk about hatred on a rugby field. 
you you're you're involved with rug, in in rugby in Limerick, so you understand that there is a sort of a certain type of grudgery and hatred that can spread over generations. That to me is what real rugby is about. It's about uh, rivalries. It's about sticking it to fellas on the field. It's about barely leaving it on the field coming off. And look, that was one. This was one of those games you could just see the spite was looking like it was going to bubble over at any second. That's exactly what you want. This is a type of contest I think that is good for the league. It's good for it's good for teams to have you know opposition that you just can't stick. There were so many little scraps, little schmozzles in this game. It just shows what it means to both teams. And you, when you really want to beat the opposition, it it's a powerful motivator. And Munster came into this game not unaware of it. It certainly seemed that they were more than aware that there's a rivalry here and they went about chasing after it. Yeah, and I suppose look if if you look at some of the performances in that game, you know, there was there was plenty to work on from a Munster point of view too. It was far from perfect, mm-hmm. but what we did see was uh, serious attacking intent when when we did have the opportunities and you know uh, it should be underestimated four tries in those conditions is is a, is an excellent return when you consider the uh, when you consider the underfoot conditions well obviously it was it was 4G so the underfoot wouldn't have, weren't the, weren't really a factor but certainly the uh, with regards to ball handling and and being precise with with, with that amount of rain I think they they deserve a lot of credit for that oh yeah look it the conditions made it so that there wasn't really a, a huge opportunity to extend your attacking lines. It made passing the ball very difficult. You know, passing the ball beyond 10 or 15 meters became very, very tricky. So Munster narrowed it up when they needed to, when they had the opportunity to attack, to break off malls, to break off scrums. I thought they did very well. And there was a few really good attacking sequences, which when you, when you consider the conditions was quite encouraging, not perfect by any means, there's still a lot, you know, a work in progress. But when you look at how Munster have come on, you know, compared to the last number of years where Munster have picked up, you know, they've shipped one or two defeats by this stage during the last couple of seasons. You know, I, I think actually since 2008, 2009, um, they've shipped a few early season defeats that can, you know, look, they don't really, they don't hurt you that badly, but they can just, they can, they can sting and they take away a little bit of momentum for you. So like for Munster to go and, and to pick up, what was this, the sixth win in a row? That's very encouraging stuff. And it just, you know, losing can be a habit, but winning can be a habit as well. So it's good to see them getting into that one as well. Bigger challenges will await, of course, but you all you can look to do is beat whoever's put in front of you and picking up a bonus point win. Manky conditions against a rival like Glasgow in Scottstoun. You can't have much complaints about that. Yeah, the win, of course, does put Munster in, in a good position insofar as they are... 27 points uh, uh, with a game in hand on Scarlets and second on, on 16. I mean, you know, considering that we're playing Zebra at home on Monday night, if if Munster win that, they could, you know, they'd be what? They're, they're 11 clear now. If they get a bonus point win there, which then you'd imagine they'd be going for, it, you know, 16 points clear uh, is, is kind of unheard of at this stage of a season with only seven games gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, it, it's something that's hurt Munster in previous seasons in this conference. Uh, well, not just this conference, in in Conference A when we were there with Glasgow. Uh, we saw Glasgow racing out to massive early season leads while Munster were shipping a few defeats here and there and always struggled to pull it back in because, you know, the Interpros come along and you're, you're going to ship one or two losses there usually, you presume. Same for Glasgow and all the teams when they're playing rivals, you'll, you'll drop a, a loss here or there most of the time. Um, and having an early season lead is vitally important, I think, in just kind of coasting. It'll allow, like Munster now, if they pick up that that win in hand, 
could end up being around 17 or 18 points clear of whoever is in second place, which is exactly what you want because it gives you a thing where you can lose one, two, maybe even three games and still be comfortably top of the of the conference. It's exactly what you'd want. And Munster have already dealt directly with our in-conference rivals. So they've dealt with Scarlets, they've dealt with Edinburgh, um, dealt with Cardiff. And it's just, uh, it's something now that for, for Munster, you just have to try and keep that momentum going because I think we've seen what happens when you finish second in a conference. It means that you're going through a difficult quarterfinal, uh, going away in a semifinal, which is always difficult. If Munster can finish top, they'll have a home semifinal in Thoman Park, which we hope will be able to have a full house of people there. So this is pretty much what, what Munster are looking for. Get to a final of the Pro, Pro 14, win it. And finishing top of your conference is probably the best way to get into a position to do that. So, you know, a lot of people are complaining. Uh, not a lot of people, but I've seen it thrown around that, Jesus, standard of the league isn't that great this year. I think that's more to do with the test window. It's more to do with COVID affecting the budgets of some of the teams we're playing. But you bring all the test guys back into that Glasgow side. You bring all the test side back into the Welsh uh, franchises, back to Edinburgh. They are difficult sides then. Yeah, look, the Irish teams will be better too. But uh, I think that this season, the test window is particularly distorted. But the good thing is, is that the points that you earn during the test window count exactly the same as what they do later in the season. So this is a time, traditionally, when teams run up an advantage and it's on Munster now to to, to build the advantage and it, it goes this week against Zebra. Yeah, it certainly does. And look, we just, just looking at the table there, uh, if we bring it up on screen, and I think, look, it, it's just really... I, I just can't get my head around the, the, the gap between those. And look, it looks like Connacht will probably be uh, in, in a battle with Scarlets and the Blues for that uh, for that uh, those remaining two slots there. Whereas if, if you go over to the to Conference A uh, and Leinster are just far, far the most the, you know, but the most superior side in that conference. But then you look at an Ulster side who've won seven on the bounce too. The only the only blot on that copybook as well as that they only picked up bonus points in in five of their seven matches and I, I mean Ulster are an astonishing 20 points clear of Ospreys in third and then you have a gap of five uh, of 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 uh, down to Glasgow in fourth who are on five points so it's 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 really lopsided and the Irish provinces just seem to be streets ahead I mean at this stage it's a case of Ulster Leinster uh, Munster and a blend of whichever which other three are going to get you know cobbled together enough consistency to make it through to the knockouts. Yeah, I mean, look, while the Irish provinces have just been well, for the most part, uh, Munster, Ulster, and Leinster have just been winning every single week. Everybody else has been taking points off each other. Uh, you know, Scarlets have shipped a loss here and there. Edinburgh have lost to other teams as well. Edinburgh, a team I think will go on a run once they get their top guys back. Because um, they've been hurt quite a bit by having Jacko van der Valt, uh, Duhan van der Merva. They've missed those guys. They've, they've been big players for them during the during the the, the, t- the test windows over the last few years. But it's uh, yeah, the Irish provinces, the, the, the three big big ones. You know, Connacht are. They'll say that they that they're not funded to the same level. That they've always been the sort of the, you know, I suppose for a while with when they won the pro 12 they kind of you know it, it wasn't the case that they were the the other province but they'll say that they, they've got less playing resources and they'd be right 
and you know it, they are still doing quite well. They've got two games in hand. I think that they'll that they'll come close to finishing second in the conference too. It's on Munster to to keep that lead at the top, but Conference A looks done to me. Like you look at Leinster and, and Ulster, they'll have an interpro to decide who wins that. I presume it'll be Leinster. But Ulster at this stage even, you could say, are going to finish second. So it's like for them, that gives you a bit of rotational options that maybe you wouldn't have if you were pushing, you know, to, to, to make sure you finish second rather than third. Because finishing third is tough. Finishing second, especially if you're in Leinster's group, is very difficult because you know, well, look, regardless of whether we win our quarterfinal, we're going away in a semifinal. So it's, it's, it, it, is, it is difficult, especially if you've got a deep run in, in the European Champions Cup as well. So, uh, look, for the other teams, look, it's just get better, you know, and they'll be looking to get their test guys back. But uh, for the moment, anyway, it doesn't look like there's all that much intrigue in Conference A. Conference B could get interesting, I think, for the all the spots below top spot, but it's up to Munster to make sure from a Munster perspective it stays as boring as possible. Yeah, and let's hope it does just that. Uh, we'll come back to Zebra later in the week uh, when we have a kind of an idea of, of, of Munster selection and stuff like that. Uh, and of course, we will be having the Munster press event as well this week. Um, moving on to Twickenham, unfortunately, and um, there seems to be a bit of a gap between England and Ireland at the moment, Tom, and... Uh, a lot of head scratching around how we're going to close it. One thing we certainly didn't see on Saturday was uh, um, a methodology as to how we'd be closing it in, in in the in the near future. Anyway, yeah, very. It was a very difficult game to watch. England's defensive superiority was was pretty clear throughout. Um, they were comfortable kicking the ball back to Ireland, and basically said, "We don't think that Ireland have anything for us, ball in hand," and they were right. Um, they had nearly, what, 230 tackles, something like that? It was a lot. And there wasn't many collisions that they didn't win. Uh, they scored one try in transition. Can you, could you, could you kind of draw some comparisons with how Munster came up against Saracens and bigger teams in, in recent years? It seems to be a common thread with Irish teams at the moment of, of like you said, not winning collisions, of, of not getting, asserting any dominance at the breakdown. And I suppose... You know, we were still able to keep ourselves in games like that previously by virtue of having a good line-out and by virtue of having a pretty solid set-piece. But I think you saw the last day, and of course by having a, a really decent kicking game. But I think you saw the last day when when our when our set piece, our line out and our and, and our line out and our you know our scrums to a lesser extent, but when our when our line out malfunctioned and we were without that possession in the scoring zones, it left us with very, very little in the in, in the armory. Oh we'd we 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 didn't really have anywhere to go. Like the core of this English side is that Saracen's core of just an outstanding group of players. Make of Unapola, Jamie George Marlow Atoji, Billy Vunapola, Owen Farrell, they're so good. They're so good. Like, you, you, you look at Billy Vunapola, his physical impact on the game, there's, there's no player like him. Like, you might not like him, and these guys don't care whether you like him or not. They're so good. Like, Marlow Atoji as well, I think, showed in this game, probably the, one of the best tight five forwards playing the game at the moment on the planet. Again, just he knows his role superbly doesn't try to be doesn't try to be anybody he's not he's a guy who's just so good defensively so athletic in the line out offense like uh, on both sides of the throw they took away an awful lot from ireland they gave us the ball back 
comfortable that, that Ireland couldn't really do all that much with it. Um, nailed us in collisions. Uh, when we didn't have a set piece to launch off, as you said there, we had nowhere to go. We had nowhere to we had nowhere to move. Uh, typically, if you're getting beaten up on phase play, you try to change it up at your lineout. So one area where I thought that Ireland would have a physical advantage would be in the midfield, and the best way to get that is off the scrum at some at certain points, but off the lineout mostly. Because if you can get clean lineout possession, you can get a maul that'll bind players in. It'll stretch out the defence. You can then let that ball out and get your Bundy Aki, your James Lowe, your Chris Farrell. Get these guys running on to Henry Slade, Ollie Lawrence. You know, start getting over the gain line there. If you can get dominantly over the gain line once, you should be able to keep that momentum flowing. Start putting the opposition under pressure. They concede penalties. You get more opportunities. We didn't do it. If, if, if you're not winning your lineup ball... And a lot of people were very keen to put the blame on Ronan Kelleher. I think it's natural. People see the hooker throwing it, and then when the ball doesn't get to the guy jumping, well, it must be the hooker's fault. I don't think it's as easy as the hooker being the problem, because if it was, it'd be a very easy fix for Ireland. Just put somebody else in who can hit their targets. I think Ronan Kelleher, I don't think throwing is his biggest strength, but it's not all on him. I think our lineout schemes, I think our, our action in the lineout isn't accurate enough. I think our calling in the lineout isn't what it needs to be either. I think that we didn't react to what England were giving us. Um, and we didn't, we weren't able to adjust. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of weight on James Ryan's shoulders right now. Uh, I think he was calling the line out in this one. I, 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 might, I could be corrected on that. But as far as I'm aware, he was calling the line out as well as being the captain. Uh, and it's just one of those things that he himself didn't have a great game here. Very few Irish players did, to be honest. But if you don't have a line out and you're getting beaten up on phase play, there was a period there, I think in the first half, where we had a line out. It was a scrappy enough line out. We retained possession, but then we started going through phase play and we didn't win one collision in that sequence of play. We went through six or seven phases. We were getting smashed on those phases. And you might say, look, the halfbacks, you look to your halfbacks for a bit of invention then. I was quite critical critical of Ross Byrne during the game. Felt he didn't have a good game. I, I felt that he was a little bit too static. Some people were saying, oh, he's too deep. For me, being deep isn't the problem. The fact was he wasn't doing much when he had the ball. He was literally just moving the ball on, which meant that he was leading a lot of the English defenders onto our outside uh, ball carriers, whoever they were, and basically giving them nothing to hold their position. He wasn't targeting or holding any defenders inside so everybody once they saw Ross Byrne getting on the ball could just keep running out and they just kept doing that and you'd wonder but why did Ireland why did it look like that England were in our faces every other phase are you thinking are they offside They're, they're not offside it's just that they knew that the ball was never going to stop in that middle space at first receiver because that Ross Byrne was never going to challenge the line it was always going to be shipped on so they didn't even have to worry about Ross Byrne. They could just keep going out. And they did. And they won so many collisions. We started to look a little bit better in the second half when we started bypassing Ross Byrne and started getting the ball straight to Chris Farrell. It was just a very difficult day. Uh, Ireland didn't really get to show any of our shape. And I, I, I can, I, I can w- with Ross Byrne, I know what he was trying to do. Get the ball out wide so you can then start stretching out the English defence. What we didn't want is for England to be compressed around the ruck because you were just losing all those collisions. So what you want to do if you're playing a 3-2-2 or 3-2-1 shape is you try to get out wide to the 15-meter channel 
you want to get wide uh, wide ball you want to secure that ruck and then you want to stretch the ball back out so that the opposition have to stretch out they have to pick players in the line and you can then look to try and attack those spaces he was trying to move the ball out to the wider area so he could get that shape and structure rolling but it just didn't work because you were never able to get the, the the real width you wanted because of the like the the physical dominance that England were showing in defence all over the field, and it just looked like Ireland didn't. Well, what are we doing? It just looked like Ireland were just trying to, you know, we were constantly trying to reset off nine and just too many guys losing too many collisions. Not a good day. Like there wasn't like I, I thought Caelan Doris did okay. Uh, I thought he lost a few too many collisions for me. Peter Romani had a good day. Um, relatively so. Um, did some decent work, ball in hand. Had one of his better games. Guys like CJ uh, had a poor enough game for me. Um, Quinn Rue didn't back up his performance from last week. James Ryan, I felt, had quite a poor performance. Not just relative to what we expect from James Ryan, but just poor in general. Didn't really impact the game. So it was a tough one for Ireland to look at because this is the second time in a month that we've come up against a bigger opposition and just being nullified. Yeah, um, we're going to face big opposition at the weekend in terms of physical size, but Ireland-Georgia doesn't do a whole lot to whet the appetite when you consider that usually around this time of the year we'd be looking forward to playing one of the Southern Hemisphere sides. Yeah, we were due to play South Africa last week, actually. Um, so instead, we just got beaten up in Twickenham. It's a difficult game to, to get too hyped up about this weekend. Um, everybody playing for Georgia looks kind of like me. Balls, weird. Um, it's just the national look over there. Um, I would expect Ireland to win this comfortably. They should be winning this comfortably. Georgia aren't pushovers, but uh, I think Ireland will have way, way too much of them. I suppose for Ireland, it's the manner of the victory. That's the biggest issue. Uh, need to get the line-out sorted out. We won't be under the same pressure at the set-piece as what we were in Twickenham at the line-out against Georgia. Everybody keeps saying, oh, Georgia should be in the Six Nations. Um, Georgia are a, a good level below of Italy even um, Wales laboured last week but Wales had a very different um, they, they had a lot of new faces a lot of new combinations and you just can't rock up these days at test level and expect to go we'll just throw in a whole new rake of new guys and expect it to flow Ireland have resisted the urge to bring in and I think Andy Farrell could have gotten himself a rake of good publicity this week had he decided to go Craig Casey, Harry Byrne, Ben Healy, Gavin Coombs, Reese Ruddock, come on in and start. That would have got people talking. But instead, he stuck with the group that they have there, which I think is the right decision on balance. I think for the moment, it's probably better that these guys, like he said, I think it was either him or Easterby said it, that they need to show it in Europe. I, I would kind of agree with that. I think that I, I fully back the guys to show it. Not sure if Harry Byrne will get to play as much in Europe as maybe Craig Casey and Gavin Coombs will. But... It's just one of those things that Ireland just have to come up and just, you know, put a few tries on Georgia and make it look pretty comfortable and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll call it a draw. After, you know, when it comes to the, the, the Autumn Nations Cup as a whole, decent win over, over Wales, a poor defeat to England and, you know, if they stick 20, 30 points on Georgia, I think they'll be happy enough. Yeah, and I suppose look more more importantly, we'd be looking to see something from those uh, guys who who have um, who, are, who are going to be given opportunities to lay down lay down some sort of a claim, albeit against uh, against Georgia for yeah, for later. For, 
James Lowe came in for a bit of criticism this week from Chris yeah, Ashton. Yeah, that was a bit um, strange. A bit, a bit strange. I think he was referring to the the chase back moment from the game when Johnny May broke through on the other side, the you know beat Chris Farrell, lovely bit of skill and on that far side of the field, and you know you had James Lowe jogging on the other side, you know beaten by Quinn Rue, Ronan Kelleher, Peter Romani, beating for forwards to beat your other winger back doesn't look good. You're, you're going to have those moments where people are going to go, what's up with this guy? Like, you know, but I, I don't think he's as bad as what Chris, uh, Chris Ashton is saying. You know, that was a little bit provocative, I thought. I think James Lowe's a good player, but just needs to have a big one this weekend if he's chosen to play. Uh, finally, Tom, uh, sad news yesterday coming out of France and the uh, tragic passing of Christophe Dominici. I think uh, a guy who played two seasons with Toulon but uh, will be most remembered for the famous pink and blue uh, shirts that he donned at his time in uh, in Stade Francais uh, and no stranger to Munster either. Um, I suppose, look, the standout moment for me would have been the try in, in, in Twickenham that I'm sure we've all seen a hundred times across mm-hmm. different platforms between yesterday and today. But uh, incredibly sad. Incredibly sad, incredibly sad for him, his, his friends, his family. Uh, he was kind of an iconic player, you know. He's a guy who you remember around that turn of the millennium uh, of those teams, you know, like coming up against Ireland, how dangerous he was, the tries he scored. It's never good to see a kind of a, a, a guy like that, you know, to, to pass away so young. Um, but it's just one of those things that memories of what he did and the joy he brought so many people during his time as, as, a, as a player, never mind the, the, the impact he's left on his friends and family, he's not somebody who will be forgotten. And it's, that's about all you can say about a fella, really. So it's, it's really sorry to see uh, he passed away. And uh, it's just uh, you'd hope now that he'll be remembered positively for everything that he did for French rugby and uh, the way he lit up the game. Tom, uh, between now, obviously, and uh, the Monster Selection at the weekend, what's happening on the Three Red Kings Patreon page and how can people access it? Well, I'll be looking at the Irish lineout this week. Um, what <laughs> went wrong over <laughs> Wales, in, against Wales in, at, at points, what went wrong against France, what went wrong against England, and looking at different aspects of it. Uh, I will also be previewing Ireland's game against Georgia, Monster's game against Zebra, uh, and I'll be having a few different podcasts, TRK Mailbag, and a few other little things as well. That's coming up this week on TRK Premium, which you can get on patreon.com forward slash Tree Red Kings for as it lists to 